Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. So I said this at the beginning, uh, but I'd like to do a two-part series, two-part message today that I haven't done this before, so we're just going to go for it. First parts to those who are graduating, lean into this. If you have not graduated or you're not graduating, it's going to be great. And uh, starting a new series we're calling Bless. This is five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world. And it's by a book. Let me grab the book here. It's based off of a book that, uh, it's a really good book called Bless, and it's by Dave Ferguson and John Ferguson, five everyday, five everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and to Change the World. And uh, so this is going to be a good series together as we go through this and as we discover what this looks like for us here on the west end of Newcastle. And so um, maybe in part, you know, so today I just want to kind of, t- we'll talk about this, talk to our graduates, and talk a little bit, maybe in part, a little bit of wisdom, the very little bit of wisdom I have about this and uh, about transitions, because I've been a part of a few of those. Um, but as we just walk through this, I want to start this series, Blessed as a Church Family. So here we go. Um, graduates, what a day it is. Exciting, a nerve-wracking season. Probably it's been, and it will be for you as you enter into this upcoming season together. It's a season of faith-filled risk and expectation and courage and angst as you probably enter into a fully new season as you step in out of the old and into the new and, um, and, and as you kind of experience this. Raise your hand if you like change. Raise your hand if you like change, okay? Raise your hand if you like stepping into unknown seasons. Okay, we've got a few a little bit shy hands being raised here. Un- unknown seasons. Raise your hand if you're kind of like, things got to stay consistent in my life. Things need to stay consistent. This is not okay. Things got to stay the same, right? Um, As I reflect even on my own personal journey, I'd just like to say, even where life has taken me up to this point, and uh, I would just like to impart what God has to say about, about this, about hinge moments, right? These are moments in time where we've got transitions coming, and how the Lord has used these moments for me and for you and for His glory in these moments together. You see, something's going to happen. These are hinge moments. These are places when something is going to change in our lives, whether we like it or not. Hinge moments are things that something's going to change. And then what follows will depend on the decisions that we make and the actions that we take of those hinge moments. Some periods of transition are predictable in their arrival. You plan to ask a certain someone to marry you. You plan for months, even years in advance, perhaps, or you start to plan your future as you exit high school or college and even into the next season. These are significant moments of planning. And we do this, try to plan really well and sort of all have our ducks in a row and whatnot. How many of you like to have your ducks in a row? Raise your hand if you like to have ducks in a row. Raise your hand if you like to have literal ducks in a row. Like you have own ducks, okay? Um, I don't know why I just said that. But anyway, ducks in a row and whatnot, we, more often than not, we like to have those ducks in a row, don't we? And we end up kind of thinking like, man, I, life's going to plan out this way. I'm going to plan everything to a T. I want all my ducks in a row before I can happen this. We're thinking we're all end up in OB. But here's the thing, church, I've, in my little bit of years of life, 
The only thing certain is that the future is unknown. (laughs) But we know the one who holds the future. All across the scriptures, there's these moments and people where they were called to step out into faith boldly into the unknown. And that God was going to take care of them. And the promise was that God is and was going to take care of them and continue to unfold the plan that he has for their lives. This is and only was by God's amazing grace and mercy. And this faith and stepping out in the unknown is all a part of faith, all part of the Bible. It's all over it. God used extraordinary people in very ordinary ways. And he uses these particular moments and seasons as an exercise in trust. And we find this at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 12, and it says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Where's that? We don't know. Go to the land where I'll show you. God's like, go to the land, step out, and I'm going to show you this land. It's like, okay, that would be an exercise in trust, right? I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a what? Blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Do you notice that verse? We kind of highlighted that. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. No mention of a specific place, right? No mention of this. Simply put, God was calling Abraham to trust him to the place that, he, that was not fully realized yet. It's crazy. And Abraham became this leader of a nation called the Israelites, and God called him to step out. Go from the country, I'll show, and I'll show you this place. Take tremendous trust to do that. I don't know about you. To take tremendous trust and faith and order them to go there. God was calling him to do this. Wasn't a lot of, there's not a lot of information here, right? Simply go, and I'm going to lead you there. And Abraham did exactly that, what God had asked him to do. Now, in the New Testament, Hebrews 11.1, 1, says this, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Hebrews chapter 11, if you go to the book of Hebrews, it's this long chapter about the people in the Bible, about people who exercise great faith. Many of them had no idea about the next steps in their life and they exercised great faith. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And Hebrews 11 tells us about all this, the hall of faith, about all the people in the Bible who were commended for their faith. Great chapter. Go through it if you have a minute. Go through that. And if you haven't read it and unfamiliar with it. But then in Hebrews 11 verse 8, it talks about Abraham. We get to Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is who? God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled her to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from one man and as... And as he is good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham obeyed and went. And it's oftentimes in these like hinge moments where we take the next right step, we say, you know what, God, I want to take the next right step with you. I just want to take the next right step with the Lord. Not exactly. Many of you have where you're going to go and where you're going to move to. Some of you are moving 
to a different state, and you absolutely know where life's going to take you next. Some of you, and even with that, we're still uncertain of the future. Even we can have the future planned out, it may, not look, it may look very differently than what we thought about it. But taking the next right step with God, I live my life by that, taking the next right thing with God. In the Old Testament, there's another great story. It comes from the book of Joshua. And God had used Moses to lead the people through the promised land, through the, wil- through the wilderness, excuse me. And through this journey of this 40 years, it gets to the point where Moses dies. And then there's got to be a new leader that's, that has been raised. And his name is Joshua. And he's crowned the leader of God's people. And God hammers home in Joshua chapter 1. He says three times, he says, be strong and courageous to Joshua as he takes over the leader of God's people in Joshua 1. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be what? And what? Courageous. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Simply this, church, simply this. The promises of God, the promise, the great promise of the Lord is that He's going to be with us, and that ought to be enough for us. He's going to be with us, and that should be enough for us. Amen? His presence is more than enough in our lives, in our circumstances, that He's going to see us through. Wherever life takes us, we know the one who holds the future, and we know who's guiding that future. And it wouldn't be just Joshua's strength leading this group of people through the promised land. It would be because he completely trusted in God. God was his source of strength, not his own doing. You see, we should not, for all of us, church, and if you're stepping into a new season, don't let fear steal your future. There's this poignant story of reflecting the anticipation phase of this transition and as Hebrew, the Hebrew people were approaching the promised land, sense of it like unknown, Moses sent 12 spies or operatives, you might say, to scout out the land. They were hopeful but nervous. So we're going to go there. Numbers chapter 13, page 105 of that Bible in front of you. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, if you don't know if this is your home church, Washington Union is not your home church, but we value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. Make sure you find a church that does the same thing that preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. We're on page 105 of that Bible in front of you and also also be on the screen behind me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and then we're going to jump to 17. So if you'll uh, join me in this. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Okay, verse 17 says this. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and onto the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are uh, strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe of grapes. The goal of the mission was simple and clear for when they were going into the land. God had already told the people that they were, he already said, you're going to go inherit the land. 
and the decision had been made, but they had been, God called them to go scope this out for the possibilities. Would there be good soil to grow food? Do they need a plan of attack? Or could they just waltz in on the place as well? Most of the spies returned with a kind of a frightening picture, okay? In verse 25, it reads this. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them in the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land in which he sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Ten of the spies recorded that the people currently guarding the promised land, they're giants compared to the Hebrews, and fear spread throughout the entire nation. Only Joshua and Caleb stuck with the plan, assuring the people of, of the Lord, the people of Israel, that the Lord would be with them and would give them victory against those giants. The people grumbled against Moses and their fears intensified because of their lack of faith. The Lord barred them from entering the promised land for another 40 years. And fear had stolen their future. That move was already happening. And why did those 10 spies spend so much, spend so much of their time thinking of reasons to turn around? It was prudent to find out the food of the land that was in that promised land grew and the inhabitants were located. But there was no reason to invent stories of giants trying to scare everybody back to Egypt. There's author Michael Lindsay says this about this passage. When you scout out a plan of action for your transition to somewhere, focus on the milk and honey rather than the giants. There may be giants, but that does not mean they're going to defeat you. That does not mean they're going to defeat you. And they certainly should not dissuade you from following the Lord's leading. There is no one on earth who can subvert the call of God. And maybe the giants are those unknowns, details, like the uncertainty, like we kind of focus on the giants rather than the good land that God has promised ahead of us. We're not fully certain what that land looks like, but sometimes we focus too much on the giants rather than what God has promised. We ought to focus on what the good things are coming for us rather than the giants. Good things are coming. Take heart about this. Because we zero in on kind of the milk and honey of the land of where life may take us. And even ultimately in the midst of transition, church, life is just a series of responding of these transitional hinge moments. I mean, the goal of Christianity is transformation. I mean, the goal of this whole Christian life is to be transformed. And we are in a series like all of life is a series of just responding to these transitional moments, is it not? I mean, this is, think of Joseph. Joseph had no idea of the, of the journey he would eventually take as he taunted his brothers and about his father's affection and his special coat that he wore. And as he sold into slavery, he had no premonition of this would become the means by which he, which he would eventually rise to be a trusted leader to Pharaoh. But only after he rebuffed the advances of Potiphar's wife and ended up being falsely imprisoned. And at the end of the story, church, Joseph harbors no ill will toward his brothers or resentment that he undertook. His life was like this. If you remember that, we went through Joseph last fall. His life was like an absolute roller coaster. At the end of the story, Joseph, no ill will. He says this about this. You intended to harm me, he tells his brothers, but God intended it all for what? 
good. Learn and grow through each of these hinge moments is a key to a really good end. So we learn and grow during all these decisions, transitional decisions, life's transitions. Romans 12 reminds us this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Know this, church, that no one can adequately and appropriately predict and line up the future that God has specifically, like no one can adequately like, line this up perfectly has designed for each and every one of us. We don't have a crystal ball clearly laid out for us. And if we had that entirety of the future planned out, I'm not sure where faith would come in and trusting in the Lord would come into this. The necessity of faith is that we trust in God for all of life and for all of life's moments of transition and unknowns and unknown seasons. In all of these unknown seasons, church, be faithful to God. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Trust in God's plan that He has you exactly where He wants you. This is for everybody too. Trust in the Lord that He has us exactly and has your life exactly where He wants you right now. Lean into other people. Lean into godly wisdom as well. Proverbs 3 reminds us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Amen? That's part one of this message. As I said this to the graduates, for everyone here, I'm going to pray before we get into part two. So let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you for your word, and it speaks to us. And uh, Lord, for these transitional moments, these are big moments, hinge moments. Just pray for the, maybe the anxiety the unknowns. Maybe we walked in here, we're not graduating, but we've got uh, transitions coming that we see, and the anxiety has been raised, and the heart rate has been increased. Maybe right now we're just not exactly sure what this looks like. Maybe we transitioned here, and we're just not sure what life's going to take us. But Lord, you have us for a reason, and you have us in the palm of your hand. And may we remember that and rest in that promise today. In your son's strong name, we pray. Church said together, amen. A few months ago, we got new neighbors across the street from us, and if you've moved anywhere, you know exactly what that process looks like. If you've moved anywhere, you know how this ends up. You kind of know that anticipation of what this feels like it's going to be to happen. Um, you may become best friends with the person who lives next to you, or you may simply have a relationship, maybe it's just a hand wave across the lawn. Whether you're on the receiving end of such neighbors or are we ourselves, we're called to be good neighbors. And it's pretty clear the Bible's command, love your neighbor as yourself, shows up eight times in the Bible. Not once or twice, but it shows up eight times. Loving your neighbor as yourself is so important to God that he, only repeat, not, he not only repeats himself, he makes it a command. Jesus couples it loving neighbor with loving God in Mark 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no commandment greater than these. And when church, when we as followers of Jesus get this right, it's a beautiful thing. 
But what about those noisy neighbors? What about the next door neighbor who lets the dog loose in the yard? Most of my neighbors have been good over the course of my life. I'm grateful for that. Maybe this is why God made this a command rather than an option. He'd know that we would struggle at times with this. And God insists that we find time, make the sacrifice, and be intentional about it. This isn't optional. And to love our neighbors. So could we dream for a minute, church? I just want to dream for a second. Could we envision this as a church body? What if all of us mobilized this time and took to heart a church body, all of us, including myself, who intentionally loved our neighbor? What would it take if we could just dream for a second, all of us to be mobilized to intentionally love our neighbor? If we all took the intentional time maybe to change kind of our heart a little bit, to turn our heart just a second to loving God, intentionally loving our neighbor in such a way, imagine with me what the kingdom of God might do right here in Lawrence County. And it's been my heart that we intentionally be a church about making the community better. As this church goes, so does the township. And so does the community around us. And I believe that God desires from that from us, from the community of God. And so too does the city around us as the people of God. And many of you, I just want to say this, many of you are already doing this, and I appreciate that. Many of you are already doing this and loving your neighbors. I am super grateful for that. And there are times, though, including myself, that all of us ought to kind of re-look at this command again and be reignited a little bit and to revisit this command to love our neighbor. And perhaps maybe you, you live, maybe you're saying, I live in a place where, there are, where I don't have a neighbor in the vicinity. Maybe it's the country. Maybe it's just there's not somebody living next to you. But who in your sphere of influence is a neighbor whom God could call you to be a neighbor toward? So here's this very simple approach. We're going to take a very practical approach to this series uh, as we take this together and as we walk and journey with this together. Very simple approach. It's the acronym BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. And it's going to kind of talk about this over the next few weeks. We're going to begin with prayer. We're going to begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story. Okay, so this is the acronym BLESS. And as we kind of journey together through this. This is kind of like, this is kind of the heart behind this. We're going to unpack what these mean for each of us and as a church family. And I'm excited about this. We change the world by intentionally living out this very simple command that God gives us to love God and want love others. We do this by the conviction that God has done an amazing work and desires to do that and desires to express the change in other people. So in our conversations, maybe about sometimes we think like sharing faith or we hear the word evangelism, and maybe you've heard that word at one point or another, but I would just want to start with the basics. Many of us have come to this kind of understanding of evangelism as like a car salesman. But I just want to say this, like as we start with the basics with this, sharing the good news starts with just being a good friend, but being a really good friend to somebody. Here's some statistics about this. 87% of them, this is Gallup poll, okay? So when I read this too, I was a bit skeptical, but I trust what Gallup says, and they have good polls. Gallup says that 87% of Americans say that they believe in God. Now, just hang in there for a minute. 
And if you think about 10 of your closest friends, eight or nine of them believe that there is a God. Now, I'm not so naive to think that they're churchgoers or believe in Jesus. But the point is that most people believe, believe a God of some sort. They just need somebody to come alongside them and to help them trust their way to the one true God. In a survey of about one in four non-Christians say that they're, they're curious about Christianity and what it could mean from their lives. And then for young adults in their 20s and 30s, the percentage of those who are curious about Jesus and faith jumps from 26 to 36%, and that's great news. Somewhere between about a fourth and a third of all of our friends and neighbors are currently searching and at least interested in to learn more about Jesus. Now, you may hear those stats, and you may say, I don't believe it. I'm cynical of the world. I'm just plain worn out on society. And maybe you see society as bleak or bogged down without hope, what have you. And I just want to say for a minute, I don't live in a vacuum. I understand um, and understand the world and the frustration there. But church, I also know that God's plan is bigger. And I also know that his promises are more certain than the world around us. Are they not, church? Amen. And his spirit is within us. And God's promises that he promises to make everything new. He promises to make everywhere new. And I get it. When you turn on cable news, it's depressing. I fully understand that people let you down. I get it. And there's a lot of hurt out there. But what about God's promises in his word that are true, that we are the light of the world and that we are the church and the gates of hell will not and cannot prevail against it, that we are precious sons and daughters of the king and that the church is the bride of Christ and that she will not fail. I know it's dark. I know it can feel tough out there. God is all bigger than that church. Amen? Amen. Here's the kicker. 79% of unchurched people agreed with this statement. I don't mind talking to a friend about their faith if they really value it. So within friendship, the vast majority of people are willing to talk about spiritual things in the form of friendship. Now, this is, goes with people, non-believers, about spiritual things. So Gallup, or the Barna Group, researched this about what they value in a person with whom they could talk about spiritual matters. And this is just from this little few nuggets from this book in that order. As we kind of like look at this and look at what it means to be a good friend and just listen well, share our story, talk about the Lord, the first thing is to listen without judgment. To listen to really someone's story and listen well. We, as, as you've probably heard this before, in order to even to enter into sometimes these conversations with people, we ought to just listen first. Take a posture of listening to somebody. Two-thirds of those surveyed said that they had no one in their life who would listen to them without judgment. None. And sometimes we are known for more talking than listening. And listening is one of the purest acts of just service. And our neighbors, people around us, often just want somebody to lean in and to listen to them. And we can have strong convictions, and we can have the Bible says to be true, and matters of the faith, we ought to have strong convictions, but we have to be willing to listen as well. Be good listeners. Secondly, to draw their own conclusions. The Holy Spirit is the one who converts people. 
we allow to draw their own conclusions. If the gospel is true and someone is sincerely searching for the truth, the truth will set them free. We ought to trust God to do his part and trust those around us to journey just like we did. Maybe even our own faith. Maybe somebody, you can think of your own experience. Somebody led you to the Lord. Somebody listened. Somebody started by listening well. We can think about that in our own experience. The Holy Spirit does the drawing of people and he does the heavy lifting. And it's good to be reminded of that, church. But thirdly, we ought to also have this. We also ought to have confidence in sharing our own perspective. Once they've shared their perspective, we can have confidence to share our own. We can share what it looks like to live this out. They want to know our stories and our experiences once we have learned theirs, once we've listened really well, and their experiences. I I'll tell you a little bit of a story about this. I once found out this firsthand when I took somebody out to lunch who told me just flat out at the beginning of the conversation, I don't trust pastors, I don't trust the church, what would make you any different? And it took some very deliberate listening <laughs> and time, and eventually she walked into the church doors months later. Um, it was the heart of Jesus across his ministry. It was the heart of Jesus across what he tried to do. Matthew eleven nineteen tells us that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Much of the religious leaders of the day wanted, watched how he lived, and they didn't like it very much. But apparently Jesus liked it so much that he kept that going. He befriended people, and they were a blessing to them. And his entire life and ministry were a rhythm of being with people. And he met two brothers, Peter and Andrew, working class fishermen. And for the next three years, they followed him. And they became the best of friends. Jesus blessed them by teaching them, showing them miracles, and giving them a mission for their lives. And Jesus shocked Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, with his offer of being his friend. And the two shared a blessing of a meal and conversation. And Zacchaeus left a very changed man. So that's a very short introduction of what we're going to go through this series. I'm excited about this, what this looks like for us as a church. Just for each, of, each and every single one of us, as we lean into who God has brought into our neighbors, and God might do a powerful work in the life of our church. So I'm praying today as we close, as we look at this series, that God really does a work in our hearts for the sake of our neighbors, those in our circles, and I'm praying that the Spirit of God would do a mighty work in our circles as we grow in our love to love God and love others and to be the kind of people that God is calling us to be for the sake of Newcastle and Lawrence County and beyond. God is great, isn't he? Amen. And he's making all things new. Amen. And he's doing it and his spirit is good and he is alive and well in this place, uh, in, our, in our church in our city, and I'm grateful for that. Grateful for you and how we're going to lean into this series together and as we just trust Him. Uh, worship team, will you come on up as we sing one more song together? And um, why don't we pray as, we, uh, as they come forward? And uh, why don't we pray together? If you'll join me in prayer. Lord, we just are grateful for Your Word and grateful for to be together, grateful for your, the love that You have for us, grateful that you've shown us love and you continue to do so. So God, we come before you. Thank you that you're powerful and mighty and strong. 
God, that you are working and you use ordinary people to accomplish your extraordinary plan. You use very ordinary vessels, disciples, followers to accomplish the hope that you've got for all of us here. So we thank you and praise you and for your son's strong and mighty and wonderful and powerful and proven reputation to answer prayer. The church said together, amen. Will you stand as we sing together?